Blog Talk Radio. everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday night. It is September the 10th, 2021. Tomorrow marks the 20th anniversary of the terror attacks of September 11, 2001 that has truly altered the world. 19 young men, barely out of their teens, carried out an attack on America carried out an attack on freedom, carried out an attack, in point of fact, on my hometown. I'm a Brooklyn boy, still live in Brooklyn. On 9-11, 20 years ago, the ashes from that conflagration at Ground Zero landed on my home, on my neighborhood, on my family. My neighbors died. And I can tell you that I still, I believe, suffered post-traumatic stress, as do anybody who lived through it. It must have been something for people watching it on TV. We saw the flaming towers on television, but they were 10 miles from my house, and in short order, ashes from that conflagration fluttered down on my neighborhood, uh, kind of like a soft snow. And the stench, my God, the stench was horrific. We had just dropped off uh, our uh, youngest son at a special school. I've spoken about him in the past. He has autism. And I remember a New York City police chopper flying at treetop level over my car as I waited for my wife to drop our son off at school. He was four years old. I was surprised by that chopper. I'd been up with NYPD Aviation to take photos of a location prior to executing arrest and search warrants with DEA. Uh, At the time, I was assigned to the Unified Intelligence Division of the Drug Enforcement Administration and then the Drug Task Force. So I'd been up with them to do photography. I worked closely with the cops. I've always been an aviation guy. I did a little single-engine flying as a kid. I always go to the air shows, went down to the Cape to see the last moon launch. Uh, To put it succinctly, if it flies, I'm interested. And here was this chopper at treetop level, heading straight for Lower Manhattan, and I had no idea what was going on. We didn't have the radio on in the car. My wife and I drove home. We walked into the house. We had left the TV on in our rush to get out the door on time, get all the kids off to school, and take our youngest to this second day of his special school. Um, And we were in shock. Flames shooting out of the North Tower. And the incredulous announcer on TV saying that they had a report that a small plane had hit the tower. And I said, you know, that's not a small plane. That's not a small plane. And as we watched the coverage, we saw that second plane slice into the South Tower live on TV. As, and immediately I heard screams outside. I looked out the window, and my neighbors were out of their houses screaming. Some had fallen to their knees because their loved ones worked in those towers. There were thousands of people working in the World Trade Center. It was almost a vertical city. 
many of my neighbors worked either at the trade center or near the trade center. And in trying to connect with my children as the tower collapsed, we couldn't get um, cell phones to work. We were flying blind. We rushed to, to get to our son to pick him up at school to find out where our other kids were. It was pandemonium. It was an unbelievable day. And I remember in the days that followed, cars driving by with American flags on, on, on little stanchions attached to the side of the car. I remember a pickup truck with this huge flag. Oh, my goodness gracious, the, tr- the flag was bigger than the truck. And then we started to see photographs in the windows of the cars, photographs of people with a simple question. Have you seen my father? Have you seen my mother? Have you seen my wife? Have you seen my fiance? Have you seen my brother? The people driving the cars had lost family on 9-11. I remember the night of 9-11 getting a phone call from the Israeli police general who had been assigned to New York calling in to make sure that my family and I survived the attack. We literally cried on the phone together. He said, Michael, what have they done to our New York? He was back in Israel at the time. He was here for a three-year assignment. We worked closely together on cases of mutual interest, including sending home a wanted murderer to stand trial in Israel. Worked very closely with the Israelis. And then I spoke to a friend who was a Secret Service supervisor, and I waited till nightfall, and I luckily got him just as he was pulling into the driveway. I called his house. I didn't have a cell phone. This is 20 years ago. And his wife said to me, Tommy is just coming in. And Tommy got on the phone with me. He was a real big guy. He'd been assigned to protect the president of the United States at one point. And he was crying. And he said, Mike, I so appreciate the call. I'm not going to stay on with you. I want to thank you for calling me. But he said, I want you to know I got all of my people out of Building 7, because that's where Secret Service was. But he said, I don't know how to explain this to you. But there were body parts bouncing off the windows of my building today. I just want you to think of that statement. There were body parts bouncing off his window. And when he went outside, he heard the sounds of explosions. What were the explosions? Well, when a body falls from 90 stories up and it hits the ground with such force, the body literally explodes and body parts were going everywhere. It's a horrible image. It sickens me. And you would have thought after that, after that, every American would be united to want to protect our country, do whatever it takes to make sure it doesn't happen again. I remember my neighbors coming home, those who were lucky enough to come home, covered head to foot in ash and debris from the Trade Center. They say that now about every three or four days, someone dies from their exposure to the toxins that were released when the towers collapsed. All this damage caused by 19 terrorists. On 9-11, they killed more people than we lost to the Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor on December 7, 1941. But the death count continues. And the so-called Zadruga Bill, so named for a police officer who is believed to be the first to die of medical issues because of 9-11, over $10 billion allocated to treat the sick and dying, most of them first responders who answered the call. You would think that that would be enough, that every politician 
I don't care if they're with the hopping kangaroo party, would say we have to do whatever it takes. Now, I had testified before Congress back on May 20th, 1997, and the issue was immigration fraud and visa fraud because of two terror attacks carried out in the United States back in 1993. First, we had a Pakistani, but in the McCarthy, shoot up the CIA, drove a courier van into the parking lot because that van had a permit that allowed him to do that. This guy had applied for political asylum. Jumped out of his truck January 93 with an AK-47, opened fire, killed two CIA officers, wounded three others, and fled. One month later, the bombing at the Trade Center that killed six, injured over a 1,000, and inflicted a half billion in damages and almost brought the tower down sideways. The terrorists boasted that their goal was to kill 250,000 people, and they almost succeeded. If the tower had collapsed, that was bombed, if it collapsed sideways, it remained standing remarkably and hit the other tower like cascading dominoes, everybody in the buildings would have been killed. The seawall that keeps the Hudson River out of lower Manhattan would have been breached, and God only knows how many other buildings would have collapsed, caught fire, or whatever, as gas mains ruptured and debris rained from the sky. We dodged the bullet in 93, but we apparently didn't learn the lesson that the 93 attack should have taught us. My friends that I worked with up at... uh, the Organized Crime Drug Enforcement Task Force came from every agency you could imagine, FBI, DEA, ATF, um, U.S. Customs, U.S. Coast Guard, New York City Police, New York State Police, everybody. And they all said to me, Mike, immigration is going to get what it finally needs because they can't ignore it anymore. Well, the Clinton administration more than ignored it. They implemented a program called Citizenship USA, And as a consequence, we naturalized over a million aliens, gave them U.S. citizenship, the keys to the kingdom, frequently before their fingerprints even came back, even though the law says we're supposed to do good moral character investigations. Not record checks. It's nonsense. Background check. Background check means bupkis. You run a name and fingerprints. If the guy has a fake name, it comes back clean. If the guy's fingerprints aren't on file, which is quite likely, within 48 hours, they, they get a clean bill of health. Background check. That's like going to, to, to the mall, if we still go to malls anymore, and stick our arm in a blood pressure cuff and confuse that with, with doing a full medical workup to make sure you're healthy. A background investigation is time-consuming. It, ta- it could take months. We don't do that. Get them through the system fast, on warp speed. And a good friend of mine testified before Congress. I arranged him to testify. He was the head of investigations in another office, and he used to work here in New York. We actually went to public school and attended the same synagogue when we were children. And when he testified before Congress, he said that that whole program was kind of like the Jiffy Lube process. And this was a guy who had met the vice president, got the Hammer Award, and... uh, Great agent, good supervisor, good friend. They removed him as a supervisor within a week. They alleged that he lied when he said that he had no referrals of suspected fraud because of this program. They were able to find one case of fraud that was forwarded to him, so he was accused of lying, for telling the truth. Um, it was only through great effort that we were able to keep him from losing his job and his pension. The crime... He told the truth. The truth will set you free, free to look for new employment. 
And then we get to 9-11. And, in fact, I had had a screaming match with the former counsel to the House Judiciary Committee. And I said to him, what the F is it going to take another attack at the Trade Center? Because we couldn't get the resources we need. And he had told me about political reality and all this other happy nonsense. And it, it, it became a pretty heated discussion. The guy's a good friend. He's a good guy. But he spent too much time being exposed to the radiation of Washington. You don't understand political reality, he told me. Okay. We had that fight on the Friday before 9-11. A week earlier, I was talking to another friend at another agency in Washington. He said, Mike, you're like Chicken Little running around with your head cut off. He said, you're overblowing the threats we face. Now, I had no idea that airplanes were going to be used as weapons. But I had that sick feeling in my gut that we were so vulnerable that something was going to happen. <clears throat> I hate being right. He called me back about a week after the attacks. He said, I liked it better when I thought you were chicken little. He said, you were right. I'm wrong. I don't know what to say to you. I said, well, there's nothing to say. We have a bunch of dead people, and the world has changed forever. Now, what's amazing to me was that George W. Bush, in the wake of 9-11, created the Department of Homeland Security, but apparently, purposely, made immigration enforcement impossible and unwieldy. In fact, John Hostetler, the Republican chairman of the House Immigration Subcommittee, at a hearing where I testified, said that what the Bush administration had given us was immigration incoherence, even after we knew that immigration was the system that failed that permitted the terrorists to enter the country and bed themselves and carry out the attack, and not just on 9-11, but other terror attacks. So you would have thought immigration would have been it. Instead, Bush cut immigration into two pieces, the enforcement program. I had recommended spinning off citizenship and immigration services. So that part was done the way I suggested it. But Customs and Border Protection and then ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, were not supposed to be two separate agencies. It was supposed to be a seamless process. The inspectors enforced the immigration laws um, at ports of entry, the Border Patrol between ports of entry, and the special agents doing interior enforcement uh, are that critical third leg that's always been neglected purposely because immigration agents don't only investigate and arrest illegal aliens. Oh, no. They arrest crooked lawyers, crooked employers, and shut down human trafficking. Now, clearly, there are politicians that love the human traffickers. I don't care what they say. Look at what they do. Sanctuary cities shield crooked lawyers, crooked employers, and human traffickers. Because the way you make a case against human traffickers, and unlike the talking heads on TV, I've worked on those cases. I was in every squad within the investigations branch here in New York City, including the anti-smuggling unit. So the way you take down a human trafficking organization is you arrest illegal aliens and you give them an opportunity to cooperate so that they can be entitled to a visa. So if you want to help the people that were smuggled in, here's their golden opportunity to be able to stay here and help us to get the bad guys. Without arresting illegal aliens, you're not going to find out who the hell brought them here. It's that simple. And everybody wants to talk about the border. Well, the border exists in all 50 states. Any state with an international airport is a border state. The states that lie on the northern border with Canada are border states. The states that have access to America's 95,000 miles of coastline are border states. And then, of course, we get to the four so-called border states. You know, 
California, New Mexico, Texas, Arizona. The trick is that once these folks get into the interior of the United States, they're here for good or perhaps for bad. Both parties have been in on this little trick. It's all about blue smoke and mirrors. We're going to give you what you want once we secure that border. Yeah, okay. By the way, you may not know this, but The Hill reported just a couple of hours ago that the Democrats are trying to do an end run around the legislative process by going to the Senate parliamentarian to see if they can't ram eight million green cards through without the help of the Republicans. And there's enough Republicans that want to do it, too, people like Lindsey Graham, for example. Think about that. And the eight million is bogus. First of all, there'll be no interviews, no field investigations, physically not possible. This is Lucy at the Bonbon factory on steroids. But again, we come back to the fact that each one will then be entitled to bring in all of their children and all their spouses. And I don't believe it's eight million. I believe it's thirty million. And once they get approval for eight million, you can't turn this figure off. We could be looking at an influx of a hundred million or more. A hundred million. Just let that soak in. No interviews, no field investigations. Now let's go back to 9-11. 19 hijackers. 19 killed more people than we lost to the Japanese fleet at Pearl Harbor. Joe Biden opened up the southern border. We have no idea who the hell is coming in. He wanted to get rid of the Remain in Mexico policy. The courts ruled against it, said that's illegal. But why did he do that? What is the advantage for America to flood America with hundreds of thousands of aliens every month that haven't been vaccinated, that might be carrying COVID, while the Biden administration is now threatening citizens of the United States if they don't get vaccinated. If you're a federal employee, we're going to fire you. If you're a contract employee, we're going to fire you or cancel your contract, and we're going to hit you with big fines. We're going to send you to the poorhouse if you don't get vaccinated. At the same time, they're flooding America every month with hundreds of thousands of aliens who haven't been vaccinated and who might be sick. Ducey over at Fox News at a news conference today asked Jen Psaki about it. How do you justify forcing Americans to be vaccinated while at the same time you're flooding America? Well, that's why we're going to have employers do the right thing, and they're going to have to do this and that and the other thing. Otherwise, we're going to find them because we're going to make sure everyone gets vaccinated. You didn't ask that question. I don't know how Jinsaki is able to do her job. I mean, I'd have to quit. Because it's one thing to try to put a spin on what the administration's doing, and every press secretary does that. But you basically have a renegade president who doesn't care about the law, doesn't care about Americans, doesn't care about his oath. And I'm a Democrat, by the way. I'm not, a, I am not being partisan. But how in the world do you flood America with hundreds of thousands of aliens every month. We don't know who they are. We know they pose a threat to national security, public safety, public health, the jobs and wages of Americans, overwhelming our schools and our transportation and infrastructure. And then we have this fiasco in Afghanistan, and I've written a bunch of articles about it. And you say, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense. Afghanistan was the key our war on terror. People argued about whether we should have gone into Iraq, but Afghanistan was where bin Laden and his henchmen were hiding. It was the center point for Al-Qaeda. Why in the world 
would you abandon Americans? Why would you abandon the citizens of NATO allies? The damage he did is unbelievable. There was just an article today uh, in Reuters that was republished at AOL, and the article's headline, Taliban takeover of Afghanistan is a boost to extremists elsewhere, and this quote comes from the chief of intelligence for the United Kingdom. This wasn't some tabloid supermarket. The chief of intelligence for the United Kingdom said this is going to embolden the terrorists. Of course it is. And they're already praising Allah. Boy, oh boy, Biden delivered. We attacked America to get America out of the Middle East. And look at that. The Americans ran like cowards, like children. We dispersed them and they're gone. And they ran so fast, they left behind all these weapons that we can use now. You can go to the Justice Department website, folks. And you can see where people are prosecuted. For what? selling gun parts that wind up in Iran or Russia or wherever, selling a computer chip that's dual use. And you go to jail and you pay a huge fine and you're in jail for years for allowing military materials to fall into the hands of people that are hostile to America. Did you look at the arsenal that now are in the hands of the Taliban and as an extension, ISIS and al-Qaeda? The, the 19 hijackers used box cutters. Now look at what they could play with. How did that happen? Why weren't those weapons destroyed if we couldn't get them out of country? Why do you abandon Americans and our allies? And then we're flooding refugees out of there, and the military and State Department are admitting that the way things are in Afghanistan, there could be a civil war. And if there's a civil war, there's a good chance that ISIS and al-Qaeda will be back in force with a difference. They've been emboldened and they've been armed by us. And guess who paid for it? You did and I did. Where's the good news here? Should we have gotten out of Afghanistan? Perhaps. But it's not only what, it's how. Imagine people on an airplane are complaining, they're circling, the weather is bad, too much fog, and they say to the pilot, you've got to land the damn airplane. I've got a connecting flight. I've got a meeting to go to. I'm going to a birthday party tonight. Can't you get this damn airplane on the ground? And imagine if the jackass flying the airplane said, well, if you insist, I'll give it a shot. And he crashes the plane and it blows up. Plane's on the ground. Isn't that what you asked for? We're out of Afghanistan. Isn't that what you asked for? It's not only what, it's how. And that brings us to why. Why in the world would this administration be in a hasty retreat that led to the collapse of the Afghan army because our people pulled out of Bagram in the middle of the night without warning them? Imagine, they come to work the next day, hey, it's another day, and there's nobody there. You don't think that's going to be demoralizing? Think again. We have people flooding across the airport gates getting on airplanes and flying all over the world now some are being held in germany wherever but eventually they're going to make their way here and the government of afghanistan is now being described by the by the biden administration as business-like and professional business-like and professional members of the afghan government are terrorists including one terrorist who has a, a price tag on his head from the u.s government to the tune of 10 million dollars 
businesslike and professional? Professional what? Thug? Murderer? Businesslike and professional. Takes my breath away. I don't know what to say. I'm speechless. And, and, And if you know me, that's kind of an unusual thing for me to be speechless. But this is exactly where we are today. We have no idea what in blazes to make of this. But I'll tell you what the world is making of this. The damage being done to U.S. credibility is off the charts. How in the world can anybody ever trust the United States again when we didn't even consult with NATO? We didn't consult with the Brits. It took the British government a day and a half to get through to Biden. Maybe he was hiding in his basement. Somebody needs to sit down and get answers. Why was this done this way? How in the world do we remedy the situation? The damage is incredible. And if you look at what's happened right after that, North Korea is starting up its nuclear program again. And if you're in Taiwan, you ought to be shaking in your boots because China now knows that America no longer has a spine or apparently a moral compass. Again, getting out of Afghanistan was probably the right thing to do. I know that Trump wanted out. I know a lot of people wanted us out. I'm not a military guy. I'm not going to pretend to know what I don't know. I remember when I was a kid growing up, if I started running my mouth at the dinner table, my dad was a no-nonsense kind of guy. Both of my parents were. They were amazing people. Never went to high school, but they made sure that I went to college. But they gave me such great words of wisdom. And my dad would get really irritated if I ran my mouth at the dinner table, and it was obvious to him I didn't know what I was talking about. And he'd say, Mike, empty barrels make a lot of noise. It was his way of telling me to zip it. And I did, because he was right. So I'm not going to tell you whether it was right for us to get out of Afghanistan or not. I don't have the expertise. I don't have the information or the knowledge to give you a good answer to that question. But my gosh, to leave where you take the military out first and leave the civilians to fend for themselves, to allow the Taliban to spring 5,000 terrorists that were in custody, and you've got to wonder... How many American or NATO or allied soldiers were injured or killed taking these idiots into custody? Think about that. Think about that. I'm sure that most of them didn't go quietly. Every time there's an arrest, there's a risk of injury or death. 5,000 terrorists turned loose because we pulled out the military We left the weapons behind, we left American citizens behind, we left lawful immigrants behind, and we left behind those people who helped us. It's remarkable. It's interesting, back in 1979, when Jimmy Carter, for reasons that we will never know, brought Ayatollah Khomeini back to Iran, which turned Iran into what it is today, Terra Central, Brilliant work there, peanut farmer Jimmy. Um, they took our embassy captive. They, they uh, took hostages. ABC News. ABC News covered it every night. That's how the program Nightline came about, because every night at 1130, when the evening news ended, they would have a special report. And they'd come on and say, this is day 309 of the hostage crisis in Iran. This is day 412 of the... And it went on every night, and they talked about what the latest news was coming out of Iran or what the efforts were 
of the Carter administration to deal with it, which were meaningless because that was Jimmy Carter, meaningless. I'm sorry if I sound bitter, I am. I expect better from our government. I was a federal agent for 30 years. I took an oath of office that meant something. My colleagues took oaths of office. The military took oaths of office. Well, that the politicians took that oath as seriously as they did. That is to say, the people in the military and law enforcement. But ABC News covered it. Now it's covered up, not covered. What is going on? How do we allow this to happen? And I think back after 9-11, how everybody was united. And Iran, through computer hacking and other techniques, and I've written about it for Front Page Magazine, got Americans to believe that America is a terrible country and, and, and we need to get rid of America. Wow. And that gets me to a quote by Voltaire, and I love Voltaire because Voltaire said you judge a person's intelligence by the questions they ask. And I remember my dad telling me, he said, Mike, the only dumb question is the question you don't ask. Questions are important. And we become intimidated into not asking questions. Don't question me. Follow the science. Follow the science. Yes, Mr. Fauci, we'll follow your science. We'll wear the mask. We won't wear the mask. We'll wear three masks. We'll wear one mask. Follow the science. Don't ask questions. Do as you're told. Sure. But Voltaire had another quote. And this one sent chills down my spine. Those who make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. I'm Jewish. By the way, for those of you of the Jewish faith, I, I wish you a very uh, healthy, happy, and peaceful new year. And no matter how you measure your year, I wish the same to you. I wish you peace, health, and happiness. But my goodness gracious, you think of the Holocaust. Germans were convinced that the Jews were the problem. The, the, the guy that spent his days in the beer hall getting plastered was told by the Third Reich, you should be a success. The Jews took your success. No, the booze took his success. His inability to, to hold down a job was the problem. But it sounded good. And all of that ultimately led to the Holocaust. My family was decimated. I was named for my mother's mother, who was killed in Poland because of our religion. My mom named me for her mother. My mother left Poland at the age of 13 and lived by herself in a rooming house in the United States where she supported herself by working at a sweatshop making umbrellas for $3 a week. Obviously, she had white privilege. Obviously. So the nonsense being spewed nonstop that white privilege is an issue and we need critical race theory we need critical empathy theory. If people understood that life is a tough proposition for everybody, we would understand that we should be looking at life as a team sport. My dad told me driving was a team sport. If it's a one-for-one -one merge, let the other guy go. If someone's trying to get into a driveway, stop the car and wave him in. Try it in New York today. It's like competition. You think it's the Grand Prix, and if they can cut you off, they're going to get a million dollars if they don't get you or themselves killed. Empathy is out the window. Consideration is out the window. And I think it started with the news programs, I have to tell you. When I started doing TV, by the way, for those of you, if you have the opportunity, I'm scheduled. I hope the schedule holds. I'm scheduled to do a full one-hour appearance on Newsmax TV on this Wednesday 
uh, at 11 o'clock East Coast time. But I started doing a lot of television. There was a time when I was doing an average of 30 programs per month, 30 programs per month. I was sometimes going from one network to the other. And it, it was very interesting. But I had a producer at a couple of that, where a couple of producers say to me, well, Mike, understand if you want to do a lot of TV, it's got to be a food fight. Don't just come in and talk about the facts. Mix it up. Turn it into a food fight. Well, talk about reality copying fantasy or whatever the hell it was. So instead of having a calm conversation, it became a food fight. You wind up arguing with people that are clueless, but it doesn't matter because you're there with the split screen and you're going at it, not educating anybody. And after a while, people kind of thought, well, that's the way you do a debate, and it isn't. My degree was in communications. I was going to teach debate on the college level when I was uh, going to school. Then I had the opportunity to become a federal agent and decided that that was the path that I wanted to take. But democracy is based on debate, on discourse, on disagreement. It's our right. It's our heritage. It's in America's DNA. Maybe that's why they want to import you know, tens of millions of people who don't understand that to change the political culture of our country. This goes deeper than winning elections. This is about converting the United States completely. And I have to tell you, and I don't care if it's the conservative programs or, or the liberal, everyone has an orthodoxy. I was listening to one host on Fox News the other day, and he was trying to understand why Americans could accept communism. And he said there's two reasons. Either they refuse to take responsibility for themselves, or they hate America. It's not quite that simple. It's not quite that simple. Yes, there are some people that don't take responsibility. Perhaps they are in a family where there are no really good role models of people who worked and, and supported themselves and were self-sufficient. My mother's favorite word was self-sufficient. I carried my dad off his job his last day of work. He probably was down to 120 pounds dying of lung cancer, in part because he smoked Chesterfield blowtorches, as I call those damn things, but also because he worked in the Navy shipyards during the Second World War. The military wouldn't take him because his brother was ready in the Army Air Corps. My dad was the last surviving member to carry the name. He had to contribute to the war efforts. He worked in the shipyards. In fact, I was in the Brooklyn Navy Yard many years ago to tape a television show, and I walked every single street within the Brooklyn Navy Yard because I knew that I was walking the same places where my dad had walked during the war, and it meant something to me. So they were my role models. If you have families that are dysfunctional, where the father has you know, kids with all kinds of other women not there for the child, people not working, that kind of chaos does not help children to grow up successfully or have good values. That's a problem. But there's also Americans that have done everything they're supposed to do to be successful, and they have been fired. Dan Rather did a story about it called No Thanks for Everything. He interviewed, I believe it was four people who were computer programmers with advanced degrees, graduated with honors, spent decades in the industry, and then their companies, whether it was Microsoft or an insurance company in Florida or some other outfit, fired these people. They had been great employees. They were getting perfect evaluations. They were there for many years. And one day they go to work, and the boss says, Hey, Charlie, you can go home early today. Uh, don't come back. Here's a box. Put your stuff in the box and leave. What did I do wrong? Nothing. We just don't need you anymore. Why didn't they need them? They hired people from India or elsewhere. So these people spent a fortune on their education. They studied hard, graduated with honors, 
got the job of their dreams, worked loyally for a couple of decades, and then the employer said, huh, this guy gets whatever it was, 150000 I can get someone from India for 60000 and they fire these people. Now, the problem is where they're going to get a job. No one's going to hire a, a person in their 50s when they're used to one system, not the system that they have, and they're going to expect a paycheck of you know 150000 for argument's sake, whatever, when they can either outsource the job out of the country or if they need people to work here, they bring people in on work visas, and the, both parties are very happy to accommodate them because that makes the immigration lawyers happy. And I've spoken about Bob Goodlatte before, conservative Republican, former chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, who made a ton of money as an immigration lawyer, had a multi-state practice. And then during an argument that we had about all this, he told me how his son would love to bring in tens of thousands of brilliant Indian programmers. I said, what are the Americans? Chop liver, my first wife, may she rest in peace, was a brilliant programmer, Phi Beta Kappa graduate. And he said, well, my son likes people from India. Well, go look up, up Bobby Goodlatte. Bobby Goodlatte got his thought with Zuckerberg at Facebook, and he's done really, 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 really well for himself by bringing in people apparently from India. So how do you tell that American who did everything right that it's their fault that they were fired by an unscrupulous company that only cares about the bottom line and not one lick about decency, morality, or the loyalty of their employees. There's a lot of reasons why people are disenfranchised and disheartened and willing to try anything. It's also because I'm sure they don't teach what communism really is in school anymore. I remember when I was in junior high and high school, we studied communism. And we realized how terrible it was. And I remember my teacher talking about how in Russia, they had collective farms called the Kolhuts. Now, to show you how stupid the Russians were, the farmers would get one acre of land for themselves and 10 acres of land for the state. And it's a miracle. It must have been the soil. That must be it. Because incredibly, that one acre that the farmer could use to go crops for his family outproduced the 10 acres of land that were given to him for the state. Unbelievable. Had to be the soil, Right. Maybe there was something in the water. Actually, it was stupid. What the Russians should have done is said, here's 11 acres of land, and you can keep 10% of whatever you grow. But that would take American ingenuity. They're not Americans. We are. But think about that. So we learned about the horrors of communism, how Stalin killed tens of millions of his people. Why? Well, there's only two ways to control people or even control beasts of burden, whether it's your dog or a horse, whatever. You can only train with two incentives, negative or positive. Under capitalism, if it's really capitalism, and I would argue this isn't capitalism anymore, this is corporate welfare that we now have, corporate socialism. But you're in a capitalist system and you work hard, you get a better education, you have better training, you're likely to make more money. If you make more money, you buy a nicer house, drive a nicer car, eat better food. Well, there's a pretty good incentive to bust your tail and work late and come in early and do what you have to do to be a success. Positive reinforcement. Under communism, you don't have that because everybody gets the same paycheck. So how do you motivate people when you don't have a big juicy carrot that you can dangle in front of them? Well, you whack them upside the head with a stick. You get punished. 
you get intimidated, you go to jail. So here's the, 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 the dilemma, not much of a dilemma. Would you rather live under a carrot or a stick? I don't know about you, and I'm not even Bugs Bunny, folks, but I'd much rather live under that carrot. But we're not explaining this to children. And you have kids coming out of school with a worthless education. They can't get a job. They're living in their parents' basements. And someone comes along and says, with communism, I can fulfill your dreams. Well, they don't know what communism is, but they sure as hell aren't getting many dreams fulfilled right now. And that's why they want change. So the politicians come in. Vote for me, and I'll give you change. A couple of cents here, a couple of cents there. Or actually, I remember when Obama came in and offered us change, one of my friends said, Mike, don't you want change? I said, let me explain something to you. If you were in a lifeboat, because you were on an ocean liner that sank, and the lifeboat is filled to the brim, and the seas are cold, and the, 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 the ocean is running with high waves and you're being tossed all over the place and you're cold and you're wet and you're hungry and you're seasick all at the same time. And the guy sitting in that lifeboat with you says, hey, Charlie, I could give you change of circumstances. What do you say? Charlie foolishly, without thinking, says, yeah, I'd love to have my circumstances changed. So the guy sitting next to him throws him into the shark-infested frigid water. Did he get changed? You betcha. Is it the change he wanted? I don't think so. But this is how it's done. You disenfranchise Americans. You make sure that they can't be successful because the system is rigged against them, just like the political system is rigged. And then you say to them, I've got a solution to the problem. Never mind that I created the problem. I'm going to solve the problem for you that I created. I didn't create it, but but these thug politicians did. And people say, boy, anything has to be better than this. Which brings me back to something my dad taught me. I always think about my parents' wisdom. He said, Mike, nothing is so good it couldn't be better or be so bad it couldn't be made worse. So we get change. And here we are. And then we come back to Voltaire. And Voltaire's quote, those who make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. How many of the rioters were out there burning down businesses, burning down cities, because they believed the nonsense they were being spoon-fed by duplicitous politicians and even by foreign governments who were hacking into the computers and posing as people they weren't to further complete the, the, the messaging about how terrible America is? And that's why we're in trouble. And Joe Biden comes along and gets us out of Afghanistan in a way that makes us at the greatest risk we've ever been for a terror attack, destroys our relationship and alliances with our closest allies, arms the terrorists to the teeth, liberates at least 5,000 terrorists from prisons that were being held in Afghanistan, and compliments the Taliban and refers to them as businesslike and professional, while threatening Americans for not taking a vaccine, while he floods America with hundreds of thousands of unvaccinated aliens every month. I want someone to explain this to me, because either I've lost my mind or my brain has just evaporated. Where is the benefit in these policies for the average American 
Where is the benefit to America? How do you justify this? How do you justify turning tail and running from Afghanistan, springing the terrorists, leaving them with weapons, and the list goes on and on and on? I never could have imagined that on the 20th anniversary of the terror attacks of 9-11 that we'd be where we are. And I want you to know that I've testified before numerous congressional hearings. You probably know that. I was called by Sheila Jackson Lee. I worked closely with other Democrats, Diane Feinstein, even Chuck Schumer in the beginning after 9-11. And then everything flipped. Everything flipped. So we're going to flood America with, with millions of immigrants. Think of the impact on the economy and the environment and inflation and housing and education and health care and transportation, electricity. My question is very simple. How does this benefit Americans? See, we're always hearing from the media, the immigrants have an American dream. That's cool. They could have any dream they want. What about the Americans who can't have the American dream anymore? At what point does the government stand up and say, look, we're supposed to be an advocate for the citizens of our country? Somebody wrote a piece, and I found it very interesting. They talked about things being scalable, scalable. So I I like to, to do that because then you can relate to it. We talk about millions of people. We can't relate to it. When we talk about your family, we can't. So let's say you're having a problem supporting yourself and your family. Your kids are going to bed with barely any dinner. They're wearing tattered clothing because you don't have the money to buy more clothing. And you have a couple of bucks in the bank, and you say, I know what I'm going to do with the money. I'm going to give it all to charity because I'm just such a, a nice guy. Would that make any sense? America is has the highest debt that we've ever had. It's leading to inflation. Everything the Democrats want to do now will add to inflation. And you think these people are crazy. No, they're not crazy. They're crazy like a fox. If you crash the U.S. economy, just about everybody will need help from the federal government. Once you take the help, they own you. This is about control. These are the ultimate control freaks. That's what this is about. They want to control you. And the Republicans can't help themselves. The people are not all Republicans, obviously, but the people that support the mega businesses. We want cheap labor. We don't want to give anything to anybody. I listen to some of these programs. Why should we give free college to American children? And you may think that that makes sense. Well, I'll tell you where I stand. And by the way, get used to it. We need to have conversations the way we used to. High school education is mandatory. In most states, you have to go to school until you're at least 16. Why? Because our government understood that you cannot have a democratic republic without an educated population. And 100 years ago, a high school diploma was the equivalent of a bachelor's degree today. But that was then and this is now. So why wouldn't you want as many of your citizens, citizens, not permanent residents, not dreamers, citizens, why wouldn't you want American citizen children to have access to the best education possible so they can be successful? The problem is that most corporations don't want to hire Americans. They'd rather hire foreign workers who work for much less money with fewer perks, fewer fringe benefits, because it's all about the bottom line. That's why. When I was a kid, I used to watch GE College Bowl, and GE used to sponsor a program very much like Jeopardy, 
They called the kids the varsity scholars, and they would compete for scholarships. And corporations like GE and Westinghouse and all these others, Allied Chemical, did this. Why? Because they saw in America's children their future employees. And they said, well, if these kids get a better education, they can be better employees for our company and everyone's happy. That was then. This is now. They don't want American kids to be their employees if they can get away with it. American employees, no. They're going to expect decent working conditions. They're going to expect a living wage. We'll hire people from the third world. They're happy with a third the wage that we'd have to pay an American. All they want the Americans to do is to be dumbasses who buy the garbage that they peddle. It's all tied in. It's all tied in. And Silicon Valley, through censorship and the importation of huge numbers of foreign programmers, what we're watching is a lot of American intellectual property leaving the United States and ultimately making its way into our enemies. If you look at what China has done, they now have a space plane very similar to the X-37B. I wonder how that happens. It looks very similar, just like their fighter plane looks very similar to our fighter planes, because they keep on committing espionage, and Trump tried to stop it. But Biden, I'm sure he's just fine with it. I'm sure his son is just fine with it. Connect the dots. Connect the dots. We should be having meaningful conversations with our politicians and telling them what we expect. And I have to tell you, I tried to reach a Republican congressman earlier today. And unless things reversed, I will never vote for this guy. And if I have to vote for him over a Democrat, well, I'm just going to sit out the election because it doesn't matter. The guy is a congressman. I don't live in his district. But I'm pretty well known in Washington, at least I used to be. And again, I'm not trying to make more of me, but the point is I'm credible. And this member of Congress made a great statement about the dangers we face from Afghanistan, so I called up his office. This is the second or third time I tried to reach him. First, I tried his local office a couple of weeks ago. Now I tried his Washington office. And I said, look, I'm Mike Cutler. I've testified before 17 hearings in the House and Senate. I gave testimony to the 9-11 Commission. I simply want to talk to the congressman. I hope my perspectives can help him make an even stronger case against what's happening with Afghanistan. And this kid, you know, intern, whatever, put me on hold for 10 minutes and comes back and says, you know, there's an ethics issue here, Mr. Cutler. I said, what ethics issue? Well, the congressman can't help you with the problem unless you live in his district. I said, I don't have a problem. America has the problem. I'm just trying to give you some advice. If he doesn't want it, that's fine. But can I please speak to a member of his staff? I know that you're probably an intern. But nobody from the staff can talk to you because you don't live in the district. I said, but I don't think you understand the purpose of my phone call. I'm very concerned about the threat that we face to terrorists because of what's happening with Obama. Obama, boy, talk about Freudian slip. Because of Biden the flooding the system with aliens so that it's overwhelmed, and now we have a massive influx of refugees. We've actually had, by the way, translators prosecuted because it turned out they were spies. So we really have to be careful. And again, it just took 19 hijackers to do such incredible damage. And I said, so all I want to do is share some information, perhaps put that staffer on my email list so I could send articles to that staffer, and perhaps it's helpful. Now, I've done this with other members of Congress, and they're happy. 
the chief of staff, chief counsel, legislative director, whomever gets on the phone and says, Mr. Cutler, it's great to hear from you. Please put me on the list, and if we have questions, we'll call you. And periodically they would call me up, and we'd have you know, meaningful conversations. I hope I was helpful. Well, this kid said, yes, I've spoken to the people above me, and I've been told that there's no interest, and it, it wouldn't be right for anyone to talk to you if you can't vote, basically if you can't vote for this guy. What are we doing? I said, I know. You're going to tell me I'm not a constituent, and I'm going to tell you you're dead wrong. What do you mean? I said, well, every American is involved, and every American faces consequences to the, to the decisions that every member of Congress makes. If your boss votes for a bad law, every American, you know, suffers consequences. I would really like to be able to say, well, this, this went off about five minutes, and I finally said, <laughs> it's, it's obvious to me that your boss just doesn't give a rat's tail. And I hung up. That's the way we need to deal with po- politicians. They're either on our side or they're not. And for a simple request of, is there someone on staff I could speak to about the nexus between Afghanistan and the threat of terrorism? And for whatever it's worth, I'm supposed to be an expert. You would think someone would get on the phone for 10 minutes and say, Mr. Cole, this is my email address. Please shoot me some emails. I'll be glad to read. If they did that, I would have been satisfied. I couldn't get past first base. And the same thing happened when I tried to reach this guy's local office. Same thing. Where do you live? What's your, what's your zip code? As soon as you hear that, it's the kiss of death. I said, I'm an American. I live in North America. I actually live a short distance from your district. Yes, but you're not in our district, are you? Really the House of Representatives or a House of Prostitution? We have got to reach out to these politicians and make it abundantly clear to them that if they're not willing to vote on measures and take positions that ensure our safety, our survival, then they need to be voted out of office. And I don't care if they're with the Hopping Kangaroo Party. We are in this mess today, ladies and gentlemen, because we've allowed this to happen. We have. My dad told me that I would teach people how they should treat me by consistently demonstrating what I was willing to accept. Why in the world are we accepting this garbage? The situation is dangerous. Someone needs to... Stand up and say this has to stop. I remember after 9-11, politicians were standing there pounding the podium. Why didn't they connect the dots? I remember some politicians saying, we should go to Hollywood. Maybe they can come up with ideas about how the next attack might play out so we can prevent it, which I thought was a smart idea. But how creative do you have to be when you release 5,000 terrorists from jail and leave behind billions of dollars in weapons and leave the entire country of Afghanistan in total disarray when we know that that was the training base for, for, for al-Qaeda. They now have that base back. The terrorists are free. They're heavily armed. And they're flooding around the world, and we have no idea who they are. Oh, by the way, last thing, uh, our biometric information was in Bagram and elsewhere. It's now in the hands of the Taliban. So they know who the cooperators were. Those people are marked. Their families are in deep trouble, and they're trapped because of Biden. And they also know the names of the people 
that were helping. So identity theft now becomes a problem. And what further complicates it, you may not have thought of this, but as an immigration agent, I think about it all the time. If your alphabet doesn't coincide with our alphabet, there's 20 different ways to spell the same name. That further complicates the screening process. Think about that. Think about that. There's different ways of spelling Al-Qaeda or bin Laden, different ways. And we may not have the biometrics on the bad guys. And they say, well, they're not on terror watch lists. Terror watch lists are only good for part of that population. Sleeper agents have no records. That's why they're sleepers. And if they're using fake ID, God help us. These are the things that the 9-11 Commission warned about. If you check out my notice about my uh, program today, I've included a link to the AOL article where they quoted it. It's actually a, um, a Reuters article. I provided you with a link at U.S. Incorporated that posted uh, my blog. Uh, the title is, On the 20th Anniversary of 9-11 Terror Attacks, Biden Unleashes Human Tsunami from Afghanistan on the U.S. And finally, there's a link to a, um, a podcast that I did, a webinar for the Glazov Gang. The Glazov Gang is really a spinoff of the David Horowitz Freedom Center, and they sponsor Front Page Magazine, where I've been writing since 2014. And so... Um, I did a webinar with the title, Biden's Catastrophic Policies, Immigration in Afghanistan. The point is, please check out my articles, the video, all this material. Share it with your neighbors. We need to have calm conversations with our neighbors so they, in turn, can reach out to members of Congress and make it clear to them that if they want to keep their position, if they want to win that next election, it's we, the people, who have to vote for them, not the lobbyists not the immigrants around the world, it's we the people. Abraham Lincoln dreamed of an America that provided a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. I have to tell you, listening to Joe Biden, watching what is playing out, happening, I have a time imagining that um, Abraham Lincoln's aspirational vision of America really relates anymore today. The American people need to have their voices heard peacefully, but with the confidence that comes from being fact-based, and the facts are immutable. They're undeniable. The American people need to make certain that the government represents them and really represents their children and their children. Being involved in politics is one of the best ways you can be a good parent to ensure the future of our children and their children. That's why I always like to make the point, democracy is not a spectator sport. Please get involved. Stay safe. Let's remember the victims of 9-11 tomorrow. And again, if you're celebrating the new year, or even if you're not, I hope the next year brings you all peace, happiness, and health. See you next week, everybody. So long for now.